This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. When I first told folks I was moving to Chicago, just about everyone asked if I was going to be able to handle the winters. Even among other Midwesterners, Chicago's winters are legendary for their intensity. My personal struggles usually came when attempting to travel. I've had emergency layovers due to snowstorms in Cleveland, two hours, Cincinnati, four hours, and Detroit, eight hours, to name a few. In this week's story, teller Dana Black shares how her own troubles during one particularly intense Chicago blizzard provided her with some unexpected perspective. Recorded live in February 2022, Second Story is proud to present Booty Call Apocalypse. It was 2011, and I was at my day job in River North here in Chicago when I got a message on Yahoo Messenger from the divorced, bearded, booty call slam poet that I was casually dating slash sleeping with, asking me, what are you up to tonight? Like something, something about his slightly overweight stomach, his, his intense eyes, his soft beard, and the way he always wanted to go down on me made the thrill of the Yahoo Messenger ping just like all the more erotic. I guess, okay, I guess you could call this booty call poet a rebound from a four-year complicated relationship that had just recently ended. So I type back excitedly, um, well, I'm leaving work early today because of this weather alert. Do you want to grab some food and head over to my place? Yeah, yep, yep, that's right. That's right. I I had given a booty call poet a set of keys to my apartment. Even after living in Chicago for 10 years, I, I was still a trusting kid from the Midwest. Sounds good, he pinged, but you should probably jump on the train after work today instead of the bus because it's supposed to start snowing really hard after 4 p.m. He then included one of the few emojis available in 2011. Probably the kissing one, because he liked that one. I grabbed my laptop bag, I put on my winter boots, headed out towards my first bus stop, just ignoring the booty call poet's advice about taking the train. The Chicago 66 bus is about a 10 minute bus ride west towards the water to the bustling tourist highway we call Michigan Avenue, which leads to Lakeshore Drive. And the drive, or LSD as some call it, snakes north and south along Lake Michigan. And when heading north, it is free of stoplights and congestion. Once on the drive, you feel free and separate from the cramped, dirty, loud city behind you. And being able to see the water always reminded me that I was not landlocked, even if I forgot it most days. I boarded the Chicago 66 bus around 3.30 p.m. in a light snowfall and was standing waiting on Michigan Avenue to transfer to the 145 bus by 3.50 p.m. Do you want brie cheese or cheddar? The booty call poet was now texting me as I was away from my Yahoo chat box. Brie always, I reply as I step onto the 145 bus and find my spot in the standing area towards the front. It's pretty packed and I grab the swing handle. On my right, the lake is hard to see due to the wind and snow that has started to pick up, but it's not totally iced over and you can still see waves and movement on the water. God, I love being by water. I need it in my life. I also need relationships and partnerships. 
I'm not usually a booty call, casual relationship type of person. I am the person who ends up in a long-term relationship within seconds, whether I want it or not. I mean, even in high school, I jumped to girlfriend material in a matter of minutes. But, but I'm also the girl and the person who cheated on my last boyfriend of four years, Steve, who was such a good guy, like making me mixtapes and writing me love notes kind of good. As I look out the large front windows of the bus, I realize that that snow is now way more intense and blinding than I remember from a few minutes ago. And Lake Michigan was almost invisible. People on the bus were getting this thing called Twitter alerts on their phone. And okay, I know, I know it doesn't seem like that long ago, but in 2011, getting immediate news updates in real time was rare. And a woman on the bus said, they are saying that a longer bus just slid sideways and got stuck before the Fullerton exit, blocking all the lanes. And this turned out to be true, but looking out the window at the fast, wet snow that was picking up speed off the lake, we all knew that this was much worse than just one stuck bus. And because I was standing in the front of the bus, I asked the driver, well, why don't we get off at the next exit? This looks really bad. The bus driver didn't disagree with me, but he also pointed at his Chicago Transportation Authority computer that was blinking just normal instructions for the route and said that unless the CTA says so, he can't change course. And so we keep moving, sort of, north along the drive until we do not move at all. It's now 5 p.m. and we had only moved about 10 feet. And for the next two hours, we are stopped somewhere between the North Avenue exit and the Fullerton exit. Excuse me, do you mind if I got off? Behind me, a petite woman has stepped up to the driver and is hoping to walk home, I guess. I, I wasn't totally sure where she was going or how she was gonna get there. But just then, a guy boarded the bus from the drive holding a sweater and a thermos in his hands for this woman who was about to disembark into the unknown. Hey, are you ready? Let's cross through the park, he said. And I remember someone on the back of the bus said, you go, man, that's awesome. And as he escorted his woman off this cold public bus, I quickly looked at my phone wondering, like, would the booty call poet come rescue me? <laughs> would he throw on his cardigan and bring me a hot toddy? He likes riding his bike everywhere because he thinks he's a hipster, but like, would he walk to me in a blizzard? I take off my gloves to text him. Hey, um, so there's a problem. We're not moving now and it's, it's getting sort of scary and cold. Yeah, he says, I just saw on the news. I hope you start moving soon. I'll save you some brie. Yeah, this booty call poet was not coming to save me. I had to save myself. So in a move of utter ignorance and intense bravery for me, I'm very risk averse and I like rules. I had decided that the winter boots with the fuzzy lining that my Nana had bought me for Christmas could get me home in a blizzard. And with that, I followed the petite lady off the bus and I stepped down into many feet of snow and braced against 60 mile an hour winds, just moving up the drive between stuck cars and taxis and buses. I didn't get very far before I saw a bright orange emergency worker vest standing in front of me in the blinding snow. The emergency worker opened the door to a black SUV to his right and said, what's your name? The middle-aged driver of the SUV replied, Frank. The emergency worker then turned to me and said, and what's your name? Dana, I reply while shaking from cold. I see the beginning of a beautiful friendship, said the emergency worker, as he gestured for me to quickly get into the stranger's SUV. 
Frank was a frail, soft-spoken, 60-year-old, dark-haired man who was friendly and luckily had a phone charger in his car. And with the amount of Facebook refreshing I was doing, getting updates and answering people's messages, asking me if I was okay, my battery was on the verge of dying. And I, I also knew that I wanted to keep the booty call poet updated on how much brie he could eat without me. So I was grateful to be off that bus and into Frank's leather-heated seats. What do you do for a living? I ask him. Oh, I, I run a dance company in Chicago, Frank says. He tells me he recently had back surgery and was still healing, hoping he'd be able to dance again. Really? I'm an actor. I, I was about to open a new play about brothel workers in Nevada, where I play a lesbian dominatrix recovering drug addict. And, you know, I had only known Frank for about 15 minutes, but I got the sense that he could handle the material. So since we have some time on our hands, maybe you'd want to run lines with me? I ask, and he was great. I think reading the play helped us get our minds off of the terror of sitting on a dark highway, surrounded by shells of abandoned cars or people, cars with people sitting in them, waiting for rescue. This whole evening, I, I never once wanted to text my parents. I didn't want to worry them. They were divorced after 37 years of marriage and living separately in different states of residence and different states of existence. My dad in love with a new wonderful woman and my mom addicted to alcohol and pain pills who was deeply struggling with depression, neuropathy and a bad back. And my mom and I also didn't talk a lot because, well, you know, it's hard to talk to someone who is slowly dying. Parents, right? Addiction. Ooh, I realized I wanted a cigarette. Okay, I quit smoking over three years ago. Yay, go me. But at this moment in this story, I was in my early 30s, rail, smith, rail thin and smoking like crazy. Frank apologized, but said, no, no, I'm sorry. No smoking in my car. So I got out of his SUV, pulled my camel lights from my coat pocket and turned around to brace against the wind. I mean, I tried to light the cigarette maybe four times laughing into the night as I realized how stupid I looked, like how desperate. Even if I had gotten it lit, well, was I just going to stand there casually outside a stranger's SUV during an apocalyptic blizzard, blowing smoke into the snow, trying to ease my anxiety as I watched snow plows and even tow trucks get stuck up ahead? I threw the unlit cigarette into the snow and I got back in the car without my fix. Up ahead, we see another emergency worker on the drive, this time handing out water bottles. I, I rolled out my window and I asked him if there will be any evacuations happening soon. Well, yeah, we're trying to get people out of their cars and into emergency vehicles. It's just, it's a lot of moving parts, he says, while telling us to stay calm and to know that the city is on it, which is, which is always a reassuring sentence. The city is on it, as we sat stuck in a blizzard along with hundreds of other vehicles. I'm now in a stranger's SUV named Frank. What are you up to? I text the booty call poet. Oh, I had whiskey, he types. And I'm watching a movie. I'm also wearing your robe. Whiskey. <laughs> a movie. My robe? Are you kidding me? So the, the booty call poet was now like a lot of Chicagoans that night, drunk and warm and cozy in bars or at home, watching this all from a distance while I was watching in real time, large lake waves crashing over the drive and freaking out about possible flooding. My fucking robe? <sighs> Sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> I text back. 
Like, why am I sleeping with this guy? Why did I break my ex's heart? Steve was a good guy. He was, he was kind and patient and funny and smart and, and just not the guy for me. Where was he tonight? Was he drunk on whiskey at home or in one of the hundreds of cars on the drive, just like me? I wanted to text him and tell him, I'm sorry for hurting you. I wanted to admit that I'd been reckless with our intimacy and commitment because I was numbing the pain of my parents' failed marriage and in deep denial about my mom's slow descent into addiction and crippling neuropathy. Around 10 p.m., we see lights approaching from the north, traveling south on the cleared side of Lakeshore Drive. Look, that's a vehicle. That's a really good sign, I say, as I jump out of the car and start waving my hands. But, but the vehicle didn't stop, and it probably couldn't even see me through the blinding snow. And eventually, other people got out of their cars and started waving, too, as more emergency vehicles started coming south. Frank, we, we got to get you out of this car and over the median. Okay, but my back, I'm going to need some help. He said meekly, but totally game. He then said with real fear in his eyes, now, what about my car? I wish I had said, the city is on it, because that would have been a killer callback, but I didn't. I just told him that we had to get his car, he would get his car later, but right now we had to get off this death highway. So I grabbed him under his armpits, helped him sit on the median and swung his legs over the side with the help of another stranded stranger. And as, and as I lifted Frank over the median, I remember thinking about my mom, how she was slowly becoming bedridden with atrophy and her body was shutting down and she could barely walk and, and she wouldn't be able to get over this median. I mean, she too had an SUV with heated seats, but she'd been driving it less and less. So if you honestly believe the city is on it, let me tell you, they were not in a million ways. The emergency vehicle we were escorted into drove us to a warming bus, and I use the word warming loosely, off the drive where we were given frozen bottles of water and where we waited before being driven to the train. We then waited underground for 45 minutes after midnight for a red line train to arrive from the south. I rode home to my stop off Sheridan while Frank took a separate train going south. As I stepped off at my stop, I realized at any other point in my life in Chicago, I would have felt nervous to be walking home alone after 1 a.m. But it was eerily quiet. There was no one out. And, and my fear around this city, my relationship to myself as a young woman in this city had changed drastically. I, I felt indestructible and brave but lonely and missing home. You got this, I promise, just a few more steps. I don't even remember their faces. I just remember these two men out shoveling as most of Chicago was warm in bed or drunk or still getting rescued off Lakeshore Drive. I am so tired and cold, I said, on the verge of crying. I don't think I'll be able to make it these last few steps. I could not feel my feet and my laptop bag was heavier than ever as I practically collapsed into 20 feet of snow. This walk would normally take me like 10 minutes, but ended up being the hardest part of my journey, this last leg. And I wondered if Frank also found it hard and without me to help him get home. Home. 
I wanted to go home to my old home, to my childhood home, to my home where my mom wasn't sick and I hadn't broken my ex-boyfriend's heart and, and I wasn't sleeping with random poets who'd probably eaten all the cheese by now. I, I wanted to walk into my apartment, soak my feet, have the poet make me soup and allow his smooth beard to go down on me just one last time. And as the city woke up the next day and started thawing out, we would grab coffee next door, hug each other in the wind, and, and I would ask for my keys back and close my Yahoo messenger window for good. I would then call my dad and tell him about my journey and take a deep breath. And I would call my mom. And as the snow melted away four months later in the spring of 2011, I would meet the love of my life. And this summer, I will marry that man and pack up our car, get on Lakeshore Drive, and move away from Chicago to be even closer to water in northern Michigan. Oh, and I also have a new cozy robe. So new man, new robe, new city. Same beautiful body of water. I can't wait. Booty call poet, don't want to brave that winter storm. Booty call poet, resting on patriarchal norms. Well, at least you could have taken time to grab both of us dinner. Set a sneaking Netflix episode so you'll know the circle winner. Booty call poet, why keep our feeble hopes alive? What are we proving? You've got our dreams, but not the drive. It was nice to hear you weave your words of sweetness in my bed. But now it's overdone. Say less goodbye, enough said. Moody call poet. Hanging around the used bookstore. Moody call poet. Both know that we're deserving more. You might say that you were born to be the voice of your generation. But to me, you're starting to feel like more of an obligation. Booty call poet. I just can't do this anymore. Baby, we know it. Poems can only go so far. I need real romance. Can't lose my chance while I'm stuck here with your breathe. Gotta get moving. That love that centers me. This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Elena McLaurin, and directed by Grace Dolezal-Ing, with music and sound design by Mariana Green. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. 
Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.